You give Teller from Jerusalem 20 minutes, and he'll give you the education of a lifetime. King of the storytellers and the Shakespeare of the Torah world, here is Rabbi Hanok Teller. Great to have you back for a new episode of Teller from Jerusalem. At the end of our previous podcast, we addressed the refugee problem and the misery of the refugees that has been addressed by both the Israeli and the Arab sides. This mandates further discussion and shall be the subject of this podcast. My research was aided by lectures by Professor Danny, Benny Morris and the late Abba Ibn. Israel's war for independence created three distinct refugee problems. The first one that is never mentioned is that of the 70,000 Israelis that were displaced by the war from their homes and villages. 70,000 does not sound like all that much, but the equivalent it is, in American terms of per capita percentage of the population at that time, would be 30 million. It was more than one-tenth of the country's population. Again, imagine 30 million Americans being displaced in a war. This was because battles were raging on the edge of their towns and villages. There were 1,500 in Jerusalem's old city that were displaced. The second refugee problem, which everyone talks about, are the 700,000 Arabs who left their homes. The majority of this 700,000, as Professor Benny Morris explains, were the consequence of war. People do not wish to be caught up in a battle zone. Nasty things happen in wars, especially where civilian populations are overrun. The Arab armies, aimed at the annihilation, attacked the newly declared State of Israel. Jews successfully repelled the onslaught from the jaws of imminent destruction. But the repercussions of the invasion on both sides were devastating. The chaos of war, along with the scramble to keep civilians safe, resulted in about 700,000 Arab refugees. There is scholarly debate over what exactly happened. Some argue that Arab refugees left out of intense fear of fighting, and some argue that they left on orders from Arab leaders to make way for strategic military operations. It is clear Israelis were directly responsible for the expulsion of tens of thousands of Arabs. It was a wartime decision to ensure Arab armies didn't gain a foothold in areas where some locals had provided Arab fighters a base to launch attacks on Jewish communities since the partition plan was announced six months earlier. A number of towns and villages were evacuated, but most notably between 50 to 60,000 Arab residents of Lida and Ramle. Two towns just south of the heart of Israel's population center in Tel Aviv were bussed or walked toward the Arab Legion's front lines. In nearly every neighboring Arab country, civilian mobs directed their rage at local Jews committing waves of violence against Middle Eastern Jewish communities, some who'd been there for thousands of years. 850,000 Jews were forced out or relocated, and Israel absorbed nearly 700,000 of them. The overwhelming number of those Arabs who fled intended to return believing that they would be able to come back to their homes with victorious Arab armies conquering Israel. Those who fled could never have imagined they would be that they would remain refugees and be such labeled, not only them, but their children, grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren. 
A small number of these refugees were expelled by Israeli troops, who told them that they have a limited number of hours, maybe even up to 24 hours, to leave. The most famous examples of this are Lod and Ramla in 1948, the subject of Teller from Jerusalem's earlier episode. A minority of those refugees were also ordered by their leaders to leave, such as in April 22 in Haifa. The reason the leaders told the Arabs to leave was because if they remained in their homes, it would mean that they are accepting Israeli sovereignty and they would thus be deemed traitors by the Arabs when they returned victoriously. So in Haifa there were 70,000 Arabs and 70,000 Jews. Almost all the Arabs left, and only 3,000 remained, which forms the core of the Arab population, a large minority in Haifa today. Again, the majority left because of the fear of war, and their intention was to return. Israel decided already in June 1948, in the middle of the war, that as a matter of policy, that the 350,000 that had fled by that point will not be allowed to return, for they were disloyal. They just fought against the Jewish state, and they would be viewed as those who would be trying to subvert the Jewish state. The talk at the time was that without an overall negotiated peace treaty, they would not be let back. That very reasoning pervaded during the war and has remained policy by successive governments to this day. The third refugee problem created by the War of Independence was the 800,000 Jews from Arab states that were disposed from their homes, a number far greater than the Palestinian refugees. There were large Jewish communities in Arab states such as 130,000 in Iraq, 60,000 in Egypt, 80,000 in Yemen, several hundred thousand in Morocco, large numbers in Tunisia. With the expulsion of all these Jews from their ancient communities in Arab lands, there were hardly any Jews left in Arab countries. These were ancient communities that had lived vibrant Jewish lives for over 3,000 years, and then they were expelled. The Jews in the Arab countries left in stages. They were not allowed to leave in 1948, but over the next two decades, they were expelled as they were viewed as pro-Zionistic and subversive by the governments of the Arab states. Not always were they officially expelled, but the government and society intimidated them to the point that was no other choice but to leave. It was an offer that they could not refuse. I'm going to make them an offer they can't refuse. The upper crust of the Jewish community in Egypt were arrested and several thousands were imprisoned in concentration camps. The same happened to Iraqi Jewry. In Egypt, by the time of the 1956 war, the Jews were expelled from Cairo, Alexandria, and Port Said. In most of the Arab countries, the Jews left as they were frightfully intimidated by the citizenry for subverting the country's war efforts. The entire Jewish community was suspect in old Jewish communities such as in Yemen, in Iraq, where Jews had lived long before the Arab and Muslim history had begun. All of the Jews were subjected to violence and the government arrested the Jewish leadership. Until 1950, the attempt to emigrate from Iraq to Israel was a capital offense. Many Jews had been murdered there. When the law changed, most Jews elected to leave, but tragically, some remained. Those who left, of course, they chose life. The trepidation of the Jews in the Arab lands is portrayed in a superb Fate and Faith documentary. A wave of fear swept through 
the Muslim world after 1948. And the Jews of each country were compelled to leave empty-handed after 2,000 years of residence. Residence that had preceded the advent of Islam by a millennium. The truth is, the Jews lived in North Africa five or, or six centuries before the Arab conquest. They conquered us, not us them. And we were forced to leave our country, which they occupied. The plight of the 850,000 Jewish refugees from Arab lands and the losses they sustained have never been addressed by the United Nations or any other world power. The Jews fled. They didn't come with their documents of property to reflect the enormous assets that thousands or hundreds of years of residence in these countries have accrued to them. We know that the losses financially were in the billions. The breakup of their civilization is also a story that is yet to be properly told. When I was in Iraq as an emissary for Israel, I thought 40,000 Jews would leave. And behold, a miracle occurred. Jews signed up to leave. In the first two months, 63,000 signed up. Slowly but surely, Jews started seeing other Jews leaving, left and right. And they also wanted to leave. In total, about 110,000 Jews left Iraq and came to Israel. Today, in Baghdad, there are only eight people left. The Jews of Iraq were a community that had lived for over 2,000 years in Iraq. They called themselves B'nai Naharayim, the Babylonian Jews. They went back to 586 BCE from the time of the first destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem. For the Jews of Morocco, it was a different story. Initially, they were forbidden to leave. In desperation, illegal and secret emigration began with the help of the Zionists. We're told that in villages in the south of Morocco, in the mountains, in the desert near the Sahara, when they saw Israelis coming to assist them in emigration, they handed over their children to the emigration authorities and they said that their bags had been packed for 2,000 years waiting for this moment that had now come. In several Arab countries, there was constant terror perpetrated against the Jews, which resulted in pogroms. There are pogroms in Morocco, 
in Bahrain, and of all places, as Professor Benny Morris notes, there were just about seven Jews there, in Syria, pogroms in Aleppo, in Yemen, and even the Jews who had fled Yemen, seeking sanctuary and security in Aden, were brutalized and mercilessly attacked. This is the far end of the Near East. This is Aden, a British protector at 1,600 air miles south of Lydda Airport. These men running across the sands to greet the plane are refugees. In 1947 and 48, 5,000 Jews escaping terror and slavery in the backward Arab state of Yemen fled to Aden. They risked their way across barren mountains, forbidden borders and desert sands. Most came on foot, and lucky were the old ones with a donkey to ride. They left without possessions and they arrived in rags. They came because they had heard in Aden, Jews could find help. The Jews in Aden were subjected to a major pogrom. Eighty Jews were murdered, and four synagogues were burned. Yet despite all the incitement of the Arabs against the local Jews, the Arab Jews were by no means nationalistic. They were just peasants, or city poor, without nationalistic aspirations. All of those Jews who fled Arab lands because of the intimidation and the violence were poor, many of them even illiterate. All of them were absorbed by Israel. The overwhelming majority fled to Israel. The upper crust of the Jews of Algeria, Tunisia, Iraq, went to either France or England. North Africa was under French protection, and once the French left from basically 1956 to 1964, the Jews were no longer under French protection, and at this time, somewhere between 300 and 400,000 Jews from Morocco fled for their lives. Before we analyze the next aspect of the refugee problem, let's turn to the excellent History of Israel Unpacked series that we turn to so often for a brief summary. Israel, whose total population doubled after the war, refused to allow back the 700,000 Arabs, either for demographic reasons or because many supported the invading Arab armies. Adding to the tragedy, Palestinian Arabs were denied absorption into the surrounding Arab states that now hosted them, becoming forced refugees, a legal status still in effect for their descendants today. Israeli leaders believed that had those Arabs been allowed to return, Israel would not be able to be both a Jewish and democratic state, and it might have a hostile population within its borders. The 150,000 Arabs who stayed now make up 20% of the Israeli population. For Palestinian Arabs, refugee status, the inability to return to their homes, and rejection by their host Arab nations stoked the flames for bitterness towards the new Jewish state. Abba Ibn, one of the most eloquent spokesmen on behalf of Israel, in my opinion, the two most eloquent spokesmen on behalf of Israel were Abba Ibn, and Bibi Netanyahu, when speaking about the war of aggression that the Arab aggressors forced on Israel, did not speak about the war of independence, but rather the war for the destruction of Israel's independence. I was privileged to attend a course by Abba Ibn in Columbia University. It was the war for the destruction of Israel's independence that created two parallel refugee problems. There's the Arab refugee problem, a consequence of the flight of the Arabs from Israel as a consequence of the war that their leaders had launched. 
There are also the 800,000 Jewish refugees in Arab lands that could no longer remain in their homes because of the hatred that was directed against them. What is different is how the two parties related to the refugee problem. Israel treated the Jewish refugees from Arab countries as citizens and kinsmen. They are integrated into the workforce and into the political system and were given citizenship as soon as they arrived. Israel adopted strong measures to see to it that they would be adopted into the economic system and social framework. The Arabs, on the other hand, regarded the refugees as a political opportunity. They figured that if they could keep them in squalor and in misery, and in a state of frustration their plight would cry out to the conscience of the world, and they could thereby alienate Israel from world opinion. This outcry would create the conditions for Israel to be forced to allow the refugees back into Israel. In other words, this policy created a time bomb. It must be remembered that it was the Arab aggression that had started the war, and the refugees were a consequence. The Arab countries that launched the war cannot afterwards wash their hands of all responsibility consequential to it. As Abbe Ibn said in the UN at the time, Israel bears no responsibility for a war that it was opposed to and repeatedly sought to end. And therefore, it does not bear the responsibility for the consequences of that war, either for the suffering afflicted by the aggressor in his attack or the defender in his response. We shall do whatever we can earnestly within the limits of our capacity to help alleviate the problem which this aggression has caused. The wave of immigrants fleeing from Arab lands would profoundly affect the demographics of Israel. Again, we listen to Rabbi Beryl Wine's Faith and Fate documentary. The second wave of immigrants were refugees from Middle Eastern Arab countries. Of the 850,000 who left Arab lands, approximately 600,000 settled in Israel. By the end of the decade, the Jewish population had reached an astounding two and a half million, meaning the population had quadrupled in only 10 years. The plight of Palestinian refugees is frequently addressed at the UN Human Rights Council. Yet for 60 years, the UN ignored the plight of one million Jewish refugees of the Mideast conflict. For the first time ever, on March 19, 2008, UN Watch told their story before the Human Rights Council plenary. Regina Waldman and their historic but poorly viewed or observed event created history for finally addressing the plight of Jewish refugees from Arab lands before a UN body. I now give the floor to a representative of United Nations Watch. Thank you, Mr. President. We thank the Special Rapporteur for his work against racism and address two areas of his report. Dr. Dean, in Addendum 1, you mentioned Libya's treatment of ethnic minorities. In Addenda 3 and 4, you envision a multicultural society based on two principles, respect for historical truth and non-discrimination against minorities. As a victim, of Libyan discrimination, I agree. Only with historical truth can we build a better future. Today, I wear my traditional ethnic dress to celebrate my heritage, but also to mourn its destruction. One million Jews lived in Middle East at the turn of the century. Today, 
less than 5,000 remain. The plight has been ignored by the international community. Their story is my story. In 1948, there were 36,000 Jews living in Libya. Today, there are none. Mafdal had. During the 1967 war between Israel and her Arab neighbors, mobs took to the streets and shouted, Ad Bahal Yehud, slaughter the Jews. They burnt my father's warehouse and came to burn my home. An honorable Muslim neighbor stopped them and saved our lives. The government ordered the expulsion of all Jews from Libya, where my family had lived for hundreds of years. They confiscated our homes and all of our assets. We are given this one-way travel document never to return. My family was put on a bus to the airport. The bus driver got out and tried to burn the bus. We were rescued from death by two Christian men. I come here today bearing no hatred, only this historical truth. One, Jews have been an indigenous people of the Middle East for over 2,500 years. Two, on the basis of race and religion, Arab regimes subjected Jews to arbitrary arrest, confiscation of property, and expulsions. This is fully documented in this report by Justice for Jews from the Arab countries. That you, Ms. Dr. Dian, your report envisions a future of tolerance and equality. Applying the principles you set forth, we trust you will examine the actions of Libya and other Middle Eastern countries that forced out their Jewish minorities. Like in South Africa, only the acknowledgments of truth and history will lead to reconciliation. Thank you, Mr. President. And thank you, Regina Waldman, for finally stating the truth on an international stage. Make sure to subscribe and recommend Teller from Jerusalem for the unvarnished description of historical events. Thanks for listening to Teller from Jerusalem, where this series takes an intelligent and thought-provoking look at the past in order to acquire a perspective on the present. Spread knowledge by giving us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. Join us next time for a brand new episode and be sure to visit telefromjerusalem.com where you can find more details about the show and other useful information. Check out the site store and just by inserting TFJ code, you receive an additional 10% discount off the already very reduced prices of all Hanoch Teller products, books, lectures, and documentaries. And remember, don't forget, you can get Teller from Jerusalem on any podcast platform or go to telefromjerusalem.com.